All right, uh, Mark 1, uh, we're going to read again what we read last week, and we're going to look at another angle of it, Mark 1, verse 12 and 13. We, we taught it last week, but I think we just scratched the surface. Um, this is after the baptism of Jesus. It says, at once the Holy Spirit sent Jesus, or the Spirit sent him, out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and angels attended to him. Uh, last week, if you were here, if not, we've got a podcast for free. You can, you can download it. We noticed that Jesus, immediately after the Spirit of God comes into him, God affirms him, you're my son who I love, and you I'm well pleased. Immediately, he's thrusted out into the wilderness for the hardest time. And when I see that, I think about the reality of life. Have you ever tried to do something good, right, like godly, and found yourself being confronted by a massive brick wall? You ever just, in your heart, say, like, you know what? I really want to do this. I really believe this would honor God. This would be good for other people. This is right for me. And then you're just pounded by opposition. That's exactly how the Gospel of Mark starts. Spirit of God in Jesus, and he's confronted by Satan. And this is just a good reminder for, for you and for me that the road in following Jesus is not always paved smooth. It's not a super highway, wide lanes, big roads. Oftentimes you find yourself climbing steep mountains, going in the back roads to deep valleys. The way of Jesus can seem, at times, complicated. And so what we want to do tonight is to think about this. If this is true of Jesus, we ended last week by saying what's true of Jesus is now true of, okay, all three of you remember. Wow, I'm thoroughly discouraged. What's true of Jesus is now true of you, is now true of us. And so what happens in the life of Jesus is not just about Jesus. He is the pattern of the things to come for his followers. So what's true of Jesus is true of you and me. So if Jesus even though he's infused with life by the Holy Spirit, confronts challenges and evil and opposition, we shouldn't be surprised when it happens to us as well. So based on this, next week we're going to continue and look at what Jesus taught and Jesus said. But I want us to pause because this is, this is the tension of following Jesus. Following Jesus is 100% about victory, 100%. God comes to make the world right, and he does it in the person of Jesus, who is sinless. Jesus dies, rises again, and is now in the process of making all things new. What was broken at the beginning of time when men and women sinned, and all the repercussions, death and sickness and disease and destruction, Jesus is now, right now as we speak, making it brand new, one person at a time. So when anyone chooses to follow Jesus, he is sparking that new bit of life. And one day we know at the end of the age, he will make all things new. That is our hope. Victory is possible and it's all because of Jesus. 100% true. But following Jesus is 100% about conflict and challenge. Would you agree? That's 100% true. So it's not as though 50-50, both realities are true, that the Christian life is victorious and the Christian life is hard. Those are not in opposition to one another. They're both absolutely true. So before we move on too fast, because I think this is a stumbling block for many of us who start out strong in following Jesus, 
but find that over the months, over the years, as opposition mounts, we can become discouraged. Rather than following Jesus and continuing to follow him with passion, you could find yourself slipping back and shrinking back into doubt, into unbelief, or just to get lazy in your pursuit of Jesus because it seems like the closer you get to him, the more things come against us at times. Maybe that's not your experience. That's often been mine. And so you just, you, if you want to know what opposition is like, just try planting a church. Just try to plant a church. Everyone thinks it's so glorious and fun. Oh, look at all the people and the wonders. And I found the last year, year and a half have been challenge after challenge after challenge and crisis after crisis with joy all the way and blessing. But following Jesus is not always easy. And we see that in the life of a master. So what I want to do tonight is just to look at I think a primo example, because there's all sorts of them, but one primo example of this tension of God's blessing and real conflict, and we're going to find it. Go to the right in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. What I want us to do tonight is on this, this theme of Jesus, full of the Spirit, yet uh, conflicted and challenged by Satan going through difficult times in the wilderness, uh, he's not alone. And tonight, I just want us to look at the life of the Apostle Paul and in him see ourselves. I have no idea what you're going through right now, but I do know many of you, and I do know many of your stories well. And I know I'm not alone in saying that there are seasons of life and following Jesus that seem dry that seem rigid, that seem hard. It seems like God is not close. It seems like my circumstances don't line up with God's blessing and promises throughout the scripture. And if you've been there or are there, you can relate exactly to what Paul is saying about his experience in following Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3, I'm sorry, 1, starting in verse 3. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Jesus Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Um, the Apostle Paul is the perfect example of obedience even in the face of suffering. If you remember his story, if you're new to the Bible, I'll catch you up. He is in dead opposition to Jesus. He is killing people, arresting people, uh, injuring people because he believes that Jesus is a fraud and his followers are spewing out heresy. And, and Jesus meets him right where he's at. He's about to take people into prison for their faith in Jesus and Jesus appears to him on the road and he knows it's Jesus because he says, who are you? And, and Jesus says, I am, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. Interesting, when, when Paul or Saul at the time is persecuting Jesus' followers, Jesus says, you are persecuting who? Me. Jesus says to Paul, when you hurt one of mine, you are hurting me. I am connected with these followers. I'm not a distant God. I feel their pain, and when you injure them, you injure me. And so uh, Saul has a total turnaround. His name is changed to Paul. 
He goes by a new name because he's a whole new person. And, and he's told by God, you're going you're gonna to share this message that I told you of my love, my forgiveness, my grace. You're going to share it with people who are not like you, to Gentiles. And Paul's a Jew. And so Paul does exactly what Jesus says to do. And this is huge. Paul, everything he's going to describe of his experience of life in Jesus is out of the overflow, not of his sin, his failure, he's a slacker. No, he is dead on following Jesus. He's being obedient to the gospel call. He's being obedient to the vision God's given him, and yet things do not always turn out the way they seem or they should. He's planted a ton of churches. He's planted this church in Corinth. And I want you to read on the screen 2 Corinthians 11. We won't turn there. I just want you to see it. This is the, the summary statement of Paul. Three times I've been beaten with rods, not because of crimes, but because of his, his faith in Jesus. Once I was pelted with stones. The Jews took him to the edge of the city and threw rocks at him because they would do that for someone who was teaching heresy and was unrepentant. They tried to kill him. Three times I was shipwrecked. These are not carnival cruises gone bad. These are journeys to share the gospel with people. Spent a night and a day in the open sea. Nothing like one of the beautiful movies where the guy's just floating along. He is, he's thinking he's going to die. I've constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, from bandits, from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles. I've known hunger and thirst. I've often gone without food. I've been cold. I've been naked. Oh, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Full on dedicated servant of Jesus. I think most of us would say we have not gone through this kind of life, have we? We have not faced these sorts of circumstances. And he says in light of all that, God is at work. Now look back at the text. Let's, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3. He says, praise. He begins the letter. He's writing to this church that he loves. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The father of what? Compassion. The father of compassion. His view of God has not been altered. And, and many times this happens. Uh, let's be honest. Sometimes when tragedy hits our family, what, what happens in our soul, if we're not careful, is we begin to project on God things that are not true of God. God, why did you do this to me? God, why did you let this happen to me? God, why, where were you? God, why didn't you? Now, I feel with you because all of us have hit those valleys. All of us have spoken those words of despair in one way or another. But Paul, in the midst of all of his suffering, is able to see God with a clear view. God is the father of compassion. Other translations say he's the God of mercy. God is not out to get us. And even in our suffering, Jesus sees this rightly. That's why he doesn't fall into Satan's temptation to take upon himself things that are not, that he wasn't called to do. Jesus passes the test and you and I can pass the test and the trials that we face when we step out of it with a proper view of God. He's the father of compassion, the God of compassion. Uh, it's the same word. Paul only uses this word four times. I want to throw another one on the screen. Same word, compassion, in Romans 12, verse 1. I urge you, brother, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, same word, Greek word, for compassion, 
to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul says to the church at Rome, in light of the gospel, which is God's mercy. Even though we do experience highs and lows, even though we do walk through very hard and difficult circumstances, uh, Paul's view of God, and he says to the church, in view of God's mercy and compassion, yes, we do walk through dark days, but God is a good God even despite what I may be feeling right now. In light of that, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's our responsibility as followers of Jesus to so saturate ourselves in the scriptures and in the things of God so that when my temptation, my trial comes, it does not shake my understanding of who God is. And God is loving, and God is caring, and God is compassionate, and God is merciful, even when my circumstances scream something different. Four things I want us to see tonight, very quickly, very simple, but I hope will be a word of encouragement to you tonight. If you're going through a tough time, or maybe are a friend of someone who's going through a real struggle. Four things we need to learn about suffering that are right here in the text, 2 Corinthians 1. The first thing is this. Suffering is a normal part of the Christian experience. Now, I thought about my wording there, and I worded it very carefully. Uh, suffering is a normal. Now, suffering doesn't feel normal. It feels unnatural. It feels wrong. But it is an, a normal part of the Christian experience. He says, praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. Notice the plural there. This is something that's that's, uh, operating in his life, in his followers' lives, in his co-workers' lives, and in the church's lives, so that we can comfort any of those who are in trouble with the comfort we ourselves Receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Suffering is uh, an, a normal part of the Christian experience. Now, I need to make a distinction here because I say the word suffering, and that's a broad English term. Um, what Paul is talking about specifically is what happens in your walk with following Jesus that is filled with obedience. Paul's sufferings that he's talking about here in in 2 Corinthians 11, about all that he went through, all were for following Jesus, obeying Jesus, doing the mission of Jesus. I need to make a distinction. There are some suffering that we face because of our own foolishness. Would we agree? There are certain things that happen in our life that are are truly cause and effect. Uh, If you say you're able to work Uh, skilled to work, but choose not to work as much as you should. If you fall short uh, on your uh, ability to pay bills at the end of the month, you could have done more. You could have gotten more hours, but you wanted to play. You wanted to hang out. Oh, my friends are going to the coast. Like, you know, you chose not to pursue work seriously. If you are, you have a lack of funds at the end of the month. Is that suffering? Well, it feels like it to you, but well, that's actually your choice. You, You, if you could have worked and should have worked, If you don't have enough at the end, um, you know, a man who doesn't work shouldn't eat, the scripture says. And so 
So there are circumstances where we choose to either be lazy or flat out rebellious in sin. And maybe some of you are, are, you feel like you're suffering right now. And what you are experiencing is sowing and reaping. You sowed to the sinful nature. And the scripture teaches that those who sinful in nature will reap what? Destruction. And so when we sin, there is effect. That's one kind, one kind of feeling of suffering. That is not what I want to focus on tonight. That's another teaching, another legitimate subject. How do we wrestle with that? Another sermon for another day. Tonight, I want us to think about what happens when you're doing it right. What happens when you're reading your Bible, praying, loving Jesus, giving generously, in a missional community, doing everything right, and yet you still are going through hell on earth? How do you deal with that? So the distinction is there is suffering for my own sin or my own foolishness, and then there's suffering even in the midst of obedience. I think it's in line with what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. We'll throw it on the screen. Uh, our suffering is a normal part of this Christian experience because Jesus suffered, so those who come after Jesus will suffer. He says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, we too may live a new life. For we've been united with him in a death like this, speaking of baptism, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Paul says throughout Romans that my identity, who I am as a follower of Jesus, is now in Jesus Christ. Everything that's true of Jesus is now true of me. Jesus experienced death. And in a real way on this earth, I will go through those experiences of suffering, lack, death, pain. It is a part of following Jesus. But the beauty of the picture of baptism is that's only one part of the story. In Jesus, there is death and there's resurrection. And so the hope that I have is that Jesus is with me now in my highs and lows. And one day as he makes the world new or if I die before he does that, I will be with the Lord forever. I get all of Jesus. I get the good and I get the suffering. So some have been brought up in circles, and maybe you have been, that if you follow Jesus, everything's going to be all right. And you're going to experience the best. And if you're not experiencing the best, something is wrong with you. You don't have enough faith. You're not dedicated enough. You haven't done enough. And if you do this, 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 and you avoid that, 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 you'll experience the fullness of life. And that is not what Paul is saying. That is not what the scriptures are saying is when you experience in the doing of right, in the doing of good, in the doing of the gospel, when you experience opposition, you can stand tall. So did Jesus. Jesus walks planet earth, healing people, loving people, caring for people. And the religious leaders want to kill him the entire time. He's without sin, and yet people are repulsed by him and kick him to the edge of the town and want to stone him. And so Jesus, the Savior, is misunderstood in the doing of the kingdom of God, in the doing of what's right. Jesus is misunderstood. Jesus experiences the pain of having some of his closest people stab him in the back. Think of Judas. He's poured his life into Judas. Three years. Loved him, cared for him, walked with him, slept by him, gone through highs and lows with Judas, and Judas kisses him on the cheek with the Roman soldiers behind him. That's the one. The one that I kiss is the one you need to arrest. And he embraces Jesus as he stabs him in the back, so to speak. You want to talk about suffering of loss? 
Have you ever had someone that loved you deeply and you loved deeply just stick you in the back? Like, you feel like a knife going in. You're like, why, Lord, why? And just, I, I'm here to encourage you to say that Jesus understands and Jesus knows and Jesus has experienced those same feelings of pain and suffering and he went through it with joy. And if you are in him, there is resurrection coming for you. This is not the end. And the sadness of today does not have to dictate next day and next week and the next series of events in your life. Jesus Christ is for you. I think part of the challenge is we just don't understand Romans 8. Romans 8, 14. It says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Would you agree? Those of us who follow Jesus, we have the Spirit. Now the Spirit you received brought you into adoption to sonship. So if we're children, we're heirs, and we're heirs of God, and we're co-heirs of Jesus. Paul says again and again and again, what's true of Jesus is true of you. You are united with Jesus. You are his. You're a child of God. If, and then he says, indeed, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I just want to remind us tonight that Suffering is a normal part of the Christian experience. And why is it so important to get that deeply embedded in our soul? It's because the way our culture defines success. How does our culture define success or doing it right or, or good? You fill in the blank. The bigger the, the better, the bigger the better. Our culture defines a success of a business. If you had one store, now you have two. If you brought in 100,000, next year you bring 200,000. And the problem is, if we have that kind of mentality that the bigger the better, or the better the circumstances, the more right that your circumstances are before God, we'll miss a big part of the Christian life, which are seasons of struggle. Um, I go to the west side, and downtown Solid Rock has three churches in this network throughout the city. And people ask me all the time, oh man, I haven't been out to Sunset. They apologize. It's so funny. I'm sorry, I haven't been out to Sunset. I'm like, you live in Lake Oswego. Why would you come? Like, you know, there's no reason to come, but thank you for the feelings of sentiment, you know, the sentiment of joy. And so, so the first thing they ask is, how are things going? I'm like, things are going well. Second question every time, how many people are coming? That, that, that's our default mode, right? Because the successful churches, if we, were, if we had this many people this year, we have more people next year. And if, if we're able to do this, we do more next year. For us, the bigger, the better. That is not always life in the kingdom. That's not the way Jesus evaluates things. And so right now, if, if it, at one point in your life, you felt like you were able to do X, Y, Z, but you're in the series of struggles and temptations or trials or suffering, and you feel like, oh, I would like to do more. Jesus is not equating bigger the better. Jesus is with you when you're able to do more, and Jesus is with you. If you feel like you're able to do little right now, I am here to speak to you in Jesus' name. Jesus is with you, and he's smiling at you, and he has not given up on you. We all go through series of struggles and temptations. Uh, size for us, unfortunately, is a sign of success and not so in the kingdom of God. I think that in the kingdom of God, success is simply obedience. What is success for you? It's obedience. What does it mean to be a growing follower of Jesus? It means that we obey in, in the good times and in the not so good times. So Paul could be beaten and stricken and hurt and in danger and what marks his life is continued obedience. 
And so the call for us in the high times and the low times is to ask God to give us the perseverance, the strength, the ability, the courage to obey when times are tough. So if you've started a missional community and things aren't going that well and there aren't a ton of people and you, you feel like you, you can't get it off the ground, don't you be discouraged. You just continue to walk out the things that God's put on your heart and God will be with you. You're a student who wants to share the gospel with his friends, but they seem to make fun of you and it's hard to bring it up. And you're praying that your friends would come to know Jesus, but things seem to go from bad to worse. And instead of being an influence for them, sometimes you feel like you're crouching in and and kind of being pulled in by the tide. Don't you be discouraged. Jesus is with you. You keep plugging away. Don't give up because Jesus Christ has not given up on you. First thing is that, that suffering and struggle is part, a normal part of the Christian life. The second thing is that God actively comforts. God is not passively comforting. He actively comforts us. Look at verse 6. If we're distressed, 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 1.6, if we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Now what's comfort? It means to lift up another person's spirit. And in this one little paragraph, the the word comfort is mentioned 10 times. Paul wants to drive home the point. In the middle of our suffering, it's a normal part of our experience. It's a normal part of following Jesus. God is not passive. He's not far away. He is the God of all comfort. And he brings exactly what we need when we need it. And notice he says that you've been comforted. And he says that I've been comforted. And he says that we've been comforted. And again and again and again, Paul wants to remind us that that even though the the cycle of suffering may continue, God wants to create in us the cycle of comfort. Now, how did it happen for Paul? What happens in a situation? Paul shares the gospel in Corinth and comforts them. He brings the life and light and the gospel to them. And then Paul goes out to plant another church and he hears about their struggles and he sends one of his coworkers, Titus, back to Corinth to find out how they're doing. Now, Paul writes in 1 and 2 Corinthians that when, when, when Paul sends Titus, that the church at, at Corinth comforted Titus. They helped him out. They were an encouragement to him. And so Paul helps Corinth. Then Paul sends Titus to help, to help Corinth. But it turns out Corinth helps out Titus. And so Titus goes back uh, to Macedonia to help out Paul once again. And it turns out that Titus, who's been comforted by the friends in Corinth, he ends up encouraging and strengthening Paul. Now, by 2 Corinthians 1, Paul's doing it again. Paul's helping and trying to comfort Corinth. There is a cycle going on where these people in relationship with one another are building each other up. And I think this is the beautiful thing, that there is a cycle. Comfort is circular. We give and we receive. We give and we receive. And what God's doing in your life right now and in my life right now, may seem random. 
But have you ever been struggling and found another follower of Jesus that you shared it with? And they're able just to show you, like, you'd have never known Jose, but three years ago, and they begin to share their circumstance. You ever been in a room where you feel like, wow, you went through exactly what I am going through right now? And we think that our circumstances are random, but they're not. What God is doing is producing in us, in my own struggle, patient endurance. I'm seeing God for who he is. I'm learning to grow in my faith. I'm learning to be sharpened. I'm learning about my weaknesses, my frailties. I'm being exposed for who I am. But in all of that, as God does a work in me, I'm able at the right time to share that. And God uses people to comfort people. We think that we need comfort from God. There are moments in life where it's great to be you and Jesus and Bible and journal and prayer and to receive from God. Those moments are precious. But let me just remind you, my friend, that's only one small part of what God wants to do. Most of the time, what God wants to do is to use you to comfort me and me to comfort you. What God wants to produce in us is a family so that we're in relationship with one another. And whenever I am struggling, I am never alone. God is in you, and therefore I have comfort. I am physically exhausted right now. Like I am, like I'm, I'm absolutely physically exhausted. But here's the coolest thing. I could walk into this room and be so tired just from a long week and all sorts of stuff and go into a little back room and tell my brothers and sisters, hey, pray for me. I am zonked. I got nothing. And you know what they do? I'm, I get on my knees and they, well, they actually held me too tight. They put their hands on me and, and just, I had a fight to stay up because they're like, man, don't, I told you I'm tired. Don't push me to the ground. But they just laid hands on me and they're just speaking words of life and reading scripture and praying for me. And so I can share with liberty and joy and I feel great because I receive comfort from godly men and women around me. Which means that the biggest enemy to your suffering is loneliness. What the enemy wants to do is peg you and pit you alone. Remember Jesus in the desert and in the wilderness and what happens? The angels did what? The angels attended to him. The angels were with him. Was Jesus alone in the wilderness? No, God was with him and the angelic host was with him. And what a great picture of life in God for you and for me. My friend, do not try to follow Jesus alone. It's dangerous. But I pray for you that your heart would be burdened to find other men and women your age or much older. I would recommend for you, if you're 18 years old, you need a grandpa. And if you can get a great grandpa in your life, you need it. You need someone who's lived more than twice your age. Why? Because they know what life is all about. You think you know what life is all about. Trust me, I was 18 as well. And I felt like I had the whole world figured out. But now I'm, I'm double that. I'm 40 and I'm just learning. I'm just learning. So I want people in my life that are much older than me and I want people in my life that are much younger than me. I want to be surrounded by men and women who are passionate about Jesus, new to faith and seasoned in faith because in that God's going to stir the right person at the right time to be that person for me. And I, in turn, get the joy and you get the privilege of being that for someone else. You have a mission, my friend. 
You may say, well, God's not going to use me. If he has you in a tough spot, he wants to produce something great in you that you can share with someone else. And sometimes we miss that in the middle of our pain. So I'm here to encourage you tonight. Suffering, yes, is a normal part of the Christian life, but God is actively comforting. So maybe tonight, in a moment, when we, when we continue our worship and we invite you for prayer, I, I hope and I trust, if you are struggling right now because your circumstances, something that happened to you, something that you're a part of, maybe you're, just, you're, you're doing great in your walk with Jesus, but you feel like you're under attack, reach out to someone. Don't be so proud that you would say, well, I don't want anyone to pray for me because really we want, we want to seem like we're more perfect than we are. Why don't we humble ourselves tonight? Why don't we all be real tonight? Why don't we say, Jesus, I want comfort from you. Send someone my way. And don't be surprised when God raises up someone in this room to be a blessing in your life. My friends, that's what it means to follow Jesus together. Third thing that we see is that suffering, it strengthens us. Look at verse eight. Suffering strengthens us. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. And then one of the most honest statements in all of Paul's writings, verse nine. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but... This happened that we might not rely on God, but on, uh, but not re- might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Suffering strengthens us. So, so Paul says what we all know to be true. Let me just ask you this. What are the times in your life and following Jesus that you find that your growth is accelerated? In times where everything's going well or in times where you really need God desperately? Which one? I think for, for most of us, maybe you're a superhero, you know, go to Solid Rock Westside. You know. But for the rest of us here, congratulations. Most of us would say, I grow in an accelerated pace when I desperately need God. So Paul says what we all know to be true. This happened. Why was he despairing even life? We don't know the exact circumstance. But just think about 2 Corinthians 11 and all that Paul went through. Some think that's when he's in Ephesus. And he plants a church. So many people come to faith in Jesus that the big temple to Artemis, the big temple that had all of these uh, statues made, these idols made that they brought uh, to the temple to worship. So many people started following Jesus that the silversmiths making these idols were losing business. And so they raise a riot to try to kill Paul because so many people are following Jesus. There's this great move of God But the enemy uses these people to stir up trouble so much so that people want to kill Paul and he's almost killed in a riot. Some people think that that's where he felt the sentence of death. Others think it's the Jews. Paul's a Jew by nature and by heritage and background. And there's nothing worse than your own countrymen, your own flesh and blood to try to kill you. I don't have anyone trying to kill me. But if it were Puerto Rican, that'd make it like double dangerous. I mean, if a Mexican wants to kill me, so what? But if a Puerto Rican, my own flesh and blood, someone from the islands trying to kill me, for Paul to be Jewish and have his own Jewish heritage, uh, children of Abraham trying to murder him, what kind of feeling does that give him? He knows the scriptures. He knows the Messiah. 
So some think that maybe it's a juice. We don't know exactly what it is, but whatever it is, he felt in his soul the sentence of death and it caused him to rely on Jesus. And so I hate suffering. I'm not a fan of it. I'm not wanting to go through trials and struggles. I'm not wanting to go through heartache. But I have to admit, and now I'm, I'm multi-decades into following Jesus, it's the best thing for me. And so I can rejoice in a strange sense that, yeah, God, you're allowing me to be strengthened through these difficult times because you provide comfort and somehow this strengthens me. God has in the past delivered Paul and his cohorts and he says in the future he'll be delivered. Look at verse 10. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will uh, deliver us again. On him we've set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on behalf for this gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. So, so suffering, it's normal, but God's actively involved in bringing comfort. Suffering strengthens my resolve. It strengthens my dependence on Jesus. It brings me to maturity. Even though I hate it, I need it. But Paul's conclusion is so encouraging because sometimes I ask myself, like, well, what do I do? Jose, if this is normal, if this is what it means to follow Jesus, man, that could be discouraging. But look at how Paul frames it. The fourth thing we need to know about all of the suffering, challenging, challenges, trials that we face is that prayer really changes things. I don't want us to read this too fast that we, we miss the, the power in it. Verse 11, he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. What can we do? What ought we to do when we face these struggles, when we see those who are around us who are going through difficult days? Some will say, well, well, prayer is just like one little part of it. No, prayer is the key. What I can do is I can join you in calling on the God of all comfort to step in. Some of us have such a low elementary view of prayer that we end up not praying. We don't think it's going to do much. We think, well, God's going to do whatever God's going to do. So, yeah, I guess out of obedience, I might as well pray. But we forget that prayer is about partnership. He says, as you help us by your prayers. Another way of putting that is as you partner or cooperate with us in prayer. God's plan for me and you is always bigger than me and you. We need to get that. God's plan is to redeem the whole world through you. God's plan is to change all of Hillsborough through you. God's plan is to do great things through you. So he leads us through these series of temptations and trials and struggles to produce in us a resolve. But what I can do is I can partner with you and you can partner with me in prayer. And prayer can change that circumstance because God's at work. You never know when your prayer is going to make the difference in my circumstance. And so I am growing in my dependence on people to stand with me and, and pray. I am not that good of a prayer person. I got about 10 minutes and I'm done. I don't have much in me. But if I'm with other people, I can pray like forever. 
If I'm, if I'm with two or three people, especially people, I, I listen to what they're saying. I'm like, yeah, oh, and it gets me thinking about other things I can pray for. If I pray by myself, I'm weak, but together in a community, and that's why he calls the whole church. He's like, look, we are going through difficult days. Stand with me. If you pray with me, we will all rejoice in God answering our prayers together. You never know what God will do tonight in your life if you will call on him with others in believing prayer. And so let's highly value this great tool God's given us, this blessing of communication with him. I was in a prayer seminar yesterday, and the best, probably the best quote on prayer I, I've, I've ever seen, I want to throw it up on the screen. It's a bunch of negatives, but it's helpful. It says, all unprayed prayers go unanswered. A lot of negatives, so you English majors, you figure this out. What's the worst thing I could do? Just not pray. Now, what if I pray and nothing happens? Well, I don't understand fullness and fullness, the things of God. I don't fully understand the ways of God, but I do know this. If we don't pray, all unprayed prayers will go unanswered. How do you know if God's going to answer unless you pray? And we have the privilege, the, the honor, the ability to call on God about everything and anything. And so tonight, just two questions to, to think about as we go to the table. And tonight, we're going to invite you to pray deeply, not just for your own concerns, but for the concerns of the people around you. Two questions that ought to frame this discussion. Question number one, who are you following Jesus with? Who are your people? Do you have anyone? Do you have a group? The reason we're so big on getting everyone in a missional community, everyone in a smaller cluster of men and women, multiple ages, multiple stages, single, married. We need, we need a bunch of people. The worst thing that could happen is a bunch of young singles only hanging out with a bunch of young singles. It may help a few get, you get married. The rest of you could end up with a lot of heartbreak. But the worst thing that could happen is all of you all together. Here's why. You've all gone through very little. What we all need are people with more experience and less experience. We need each other. So the most thrilling thing about this community is we have seasoned Christians and new Christians. We have young, we have old, we have people without kids. We have people who have sleepless nights and kids. We have it all here. And we need that. Who are you, though, following Jesus with in this room? If I were to say, all right, get together with the people, your people, and pray about circumstances, who would you go to? Would you go to anybody? Uh, tonight, if you don't have anyone, we want to invite you into relationship. We need one another because at times we will be down. And I need you to stand with me and I want to stand with you. And the second question, question is this. What, um, where are the areas that you need God's rescue? Who are the people that you're following Jesus with? But where, where are the areas that you need God's rescue? Uh, Paul in his life had his highs and lows. Huge church planting opportunities were great blessing. And then the next thing you know, he's in jail. And that is the normal Christian life. And so where are the areas tonight where you say, you know what, I need God to step in to this situation. I'll give you mine and then we're gonna go to the table because maybe it will stir you to think. Um, right now, you know, I've, I've shared it a bunch. Uh, my brother in this situation, he had a heart attack in January and it's been hard. It's been hard on him. It's been hard on me. I want to see God's rescue for my brother. Um, my wife, she's not here tonight. She's got a massive head cold all week. 
Uh, some of you know um, that she's been struggling. The, the, the doctors don't know what it is, but with her blood pressure suddenly dropping, she had to be hospitalized. She's fine right now. Uh, we went to the cardiologist, an interesting statement. The cardiologist told us after all the tests, uh, we are baffled. That's not what you want your doctor to say. Uh, after reading her test, like, we brought it to our group. We don't understand why. Your heart seems to be fine, but we know this is wrong. And so I'm asking you to pray. Why? Because I think more believing people praying is a good thing. And, and if you tell me your thing, I want to pray for you. We need to let down the guard and let people in. Because in that, there's life. And so let's not be Christian posers that pretend on Sundays that we got it all together and then go home and suffer all week long and say, God, I need you. When God is saying, I brought you to a place. I got my people. They're there for you. And so tonight, as we go to the table, we go as a family. Who are the people that you are following Jesus with? And where are the areas that you need rescue? Tonight when we come, we want to think about those. We want to pray for one another. We want to see God do something great. Not just in our city, but in your life and in mine. Lord, I thank you that you're a God of all comfort. You're a God who hears. You're a God who answers. You're a God who rescues. You're a God who's present. And Lord, you know the struggling that's going on in this room right now. You know the pain, you know the suffering, you know the weakness, you know the temptations, you know the failures, you know it all. And you're alive and you're active and you're present. So God, would you come by the power of the Holy Spirit and bring great comfort and joy and resilience and stamina and strength to those, our brothers and sisters who are just down and out and hurting. God, would you do that tonight? Lord, for those of us who have been marginalized on the side, we don't have our community, I pray that you will open up doors of relationship. Even now, God, tonight, those who are longing to be more deeply knit in a community of people following you and are longing for it but are struggling with those first steps or breaking the ice or finding that one person, would you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, bring them into connection tonight? Pray, Lord, that those who aren't even following you would follow you fully tonight. Jesus, we're inviting you, we're asking, we're pleading with you to come. Come, Lord Jesus.